Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. All the ships at sea, my name is George Spaulding, and this is Practitioner Radio number 71. And with me, as always, is my compadre in crime, Troy de Molin. Troy, hey, say George. hello. And what is, hello, hello. what's your title at Pink Elephant this week? <laughs> Vice President of Research and Development still. Gosh! That's like several weeks you've had that. Way to go, man. I know. Uh, we got to get a you record. a new one. Hey, and he's... he's <laughs> I heard someone he, threaten about it today. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, and with us today is our special guest, J. Paul Reed. Say hi. Hello. How are you all? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. If I you, ate if much you do turkey. Well, remember, Troy is from Canada. Oh. oh right so they so, do the the is it is it like in october or something exactly. it's like pre-thanksgiving or something it's a pre well actually if you look at the harvest it actually makes more sense than ours but we mm. won't we won't go there Canadians um, always this is like a, a prequel to christmas yeah <laughs> all right exactly well that's what we have uh okay so um this the topic that we have chosen this time is kanban and visual management and this is, uh, this, while may not seem revolutionary, when you actually try and apply it, it appears or feels revolutionary. So I'm going to let, first of all, our esteemed guest, uh, first of all, do a quick intro, Paul, and then uh, tell us about uh, what Kanban is and where it falls. Yeah, sure. So Kanban uh, comes from uh, actually the Toyota production system, um, and I, Kanban um, they talk about Kanban cards. And so back in the Toyota production system, which if you follow uh, DevOps and Lean, there's kind of threads of of you know everybody likes to talk about uh, you know Deming and uh, Taiichi Ono and and the Toyota production system. Um, Kanban was a way to sort of signal on the production line that you needed a particular, you know, another kind of bucket of, of bolts for something. It was a, they used it for signaling, um, you know, sort of where they needed uh, um, basically supplies uh, and also where they needed attention. Um, they used to use this concept of cards. And of course, back then, it, it, there's a couple of famous pictures if you do a Google image search for Kanban that show the old kind of mechanical Kanban boards. And they were literally boards with numbers on them and each number was part of a, a station. So the, the board would literally light up uh, if there was a problem at the station. And so that's how they sort of used uh, used that to sort of understand their system and understand kind of the flow of their system. And that's really uh, the point of Kanban, um, is to make work visible um, and to really focus on the flow of the work um, as opposed to sort of trying to, you know, kind of force you know the work into a certain pattern when it when it's sort of not natural. So where you see it being used in sort of uh, DevOps 
and IT management and operations is, uh, you know, where it kind of came into the lexicon there is we are all familiar with Agile, right? And uh, as Agile sort of took the industry by storm on the developer or the software development side, a lot of people tried to sort of apply Agile principles to operations or to IT service management. And the problem is, is that, you know, you, you, uh, because uh, so much of operation work and IT work is interruptive, you know, work comes in and you have to take care of it right then, it was problematic for um, situations where like, you know, the website would go down and you can't, you can't say, well, I'm going to leave the website down for, you know, the end of the sprint because we planned our sprint and, and we're going to finish our sprint. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't work, right? People are, are shouting, you to, uh, shouting at you to get the, the website back up. So uh, really there was a disconnect between some of the, the core sort of agile concepts that were being used on the development side uh, to manage work and just the interruptive nature uh, of IT work. Um, and so people started looking at sort of other systems to kind of help with that and Kanban uh, was was found as as kind of a good fit uh, for this sort of work that you might have where it's some of it is interruptive and, and also you want to be able to, to plan regular work as well and so that's where people started investigating Kanban and, and that's where it sort of became popularized uh, kind of in the, the IT sphere and then of course with with DevOps becoming a big thing because that whole idea is the the value stream of development to operations you see a lot of teams using uh, Kanban boards um, to sort of manage pulling work into uh, operations from development and being able to kind of merge those streams together. Troy would you like to talk a little bit about the uh, uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that because we when we talk or teach the concept of Kanban and Kanban boards and visual management in general, um, we tend to be thinking, and in many ways, the way Paul was describing it was uh, at, at a single location, right? The plant. So, and IT often is not at a single location. It's very distributed. So perhaps you could add to this conversation. Yeah, so the concept of Kanban board isn't really located necessarily in one place. It's more about how do you visualize the flow of a process and the agents in that process or value stream can be anywhere. But there is very much kind of a front end, right? Stuff is coming in and it's moved along and at some point it comes out the back end, whether that's a request coming in one side and enhancement being you know produced and promoted into production. It doesn't matter where individuals are, but what does matter is that people can visualize the work, where work is being held up, where bottlenecks are constraining the overall flow of the work. Um, and building on your principle of making in the invisible visible, that's the concept of Jadoka, is that's big, one of the big issues that operations faces as well, is this unplanned work challenge that you, you mentioned. And I teach this, and often I'll kind of walk them through a scenario and get them to kind of declare to me what their percentage of unplanned to planned work is and when I talk them through a bunch, a bunch of different scenarios almost always they're up in the 80% unplanned work and 20% planned now obviously that's a problem in itself and a lot of that is because of uh, the challenges that are upstream <laughs> but the reality well, is that they still want you to finish the planned work while this 80% is coming in and they're and everyone's just getting mad at operations because hey 
I know you get all this disruptive work, but you still have to make the deadlines happen. And so how do, you, how do we get around that? Well, basically, we're going to have to visualize both types of work, planned and unplanned. Well, and it's interesting, too, when, when I've done that same exercise, and you've probably had this experience as well, people tend to underestimate their unplanned work. You know, it, totally. a, lot, a lot of times you'll go and ask them that question and they'll say, oh, you know, maybe 20 to 40 percent. And then you, you say, well, let's start, a, you know, let's do a simple Kanban board or do a little kind of analysis on the front end. And then you can actually show that it is, you know, more like 60 to 80 um, percent. And, and that's always one of those things. This is the question everybody gets asked. Why didn't you get this done? Right. Whatever the task is like, you know, you, you promise and th- this was a major disconnect. Uh, with developers, it, you know, DevOps made this really apparent because developers would finish their sprint and they would say, well, I did all my work. Now I'm handing it off to you. Why didn't you get this deployed? Or why didn't you, you know, you promised us in this sprint you would do this. And there wasn't any sense that, well, yeah, but, you know, the site went down and then the, you know, the network had a problem and what, you know, all of this sort of work coming in didn't get accounted for at all. So it was an attempt sort of uh, to figure that out and address that. Um, one of the phrases that um, uh, one of the Kanban people uh, that is uh, does a lot of work in the, the space, uh, her name's Dominica de Grandis, she says, uh, she talks about honoring reality, which is a phrase that <laughs> yeah. I really like, right? Kanban allows you to sort of honor reality, uh, the reality of your work and the reality of your environment, where a lot of times when we do maybe sprint planning or other things, especially in an interruptive uh, IT operations sense, um, we can't do that, right? Well, and one of the things that I tend to do when I talk about this with students and and clients is I describe the Kanban as the only real place where everything is visible. Because it, mm-hmm. because nothing, everyone's working in their own little, you can call it a silo or you can call it a department or you can call it a team. But basically they all work toward a specific effort, their effort, their effort, not the total effort, their effort. But there's, there's no place without a Kanban where you see everything and how it affects everything else. It doesn't exist. Yeah. So honoring reality, I like that. And... Uh... I have this basic logic tree I walk people through, and it's simply this. You know, what is not understood or defined cannot be stabilized. What is not stabilized cannot be measured holistically, and what is not measured can't be approved. So whether you want to throw PDCA or DMAIC around that, the basic beginning is I have to understand it, see it, visualize it, under, comprehend the, the nature of it before I can actually do anything else. This making it visible, honoring reality is critical to that. And I really like, by the way, the... the um when you get a uh, even a simple Kanban board, and a lot of teams start out really simply, and that's one of the things I actually really like about Kanban is it's not super prescriptive. I mean, it's got a, a few things that, that are important in that it suggests that you do, but in terms of like what a Kanban board should look like, I mean, you look at different organizations, different teams, um, what they're trying to model, uh, the Kanban board is going to look different in all of those cases. Um, so it's always actually fun to see a team's Kanban board because they're always slightly different. But if you are doing Kanban correctly and you're doing it well, this visual, visual um, visualization becomes very obvious. Like you can see where the work is piling up and a lot of times whether it's operations or QA or whatever it is, right? You, you, you can just look at the board and in 
you know, 15 seconds, see, oh, that, you know, there's a bottleneck right there. And that's also makes it a very uh, kind of compelling practice because it makes a lot of this stuff not only obvious, but kind of intuitively obvious. So there's a couple other key parts, George, that make sense with the Kanban. So visualization is one, but there are two other principles I want to just throw on the table. One is it's proven that you're going to have a, a better flow, a more effective throughput if you complete one task before you start another. So Kanban forces you to complete what's work in progress before you pull into the system and say, I have another five plates to start spinning at the same time in parallel. So overall, you know, completion and then take the next piece of work is proven to have a better throughput. And the other side of that is that uh, the reality is when we have too much whip, too much work in progress, of course, we suffer the old uh, task switching, con you know, context switching problem statement. And it's been demonstrated again through research that people can't multitask in reality. That's for machines to do, despite what my wife says about it. <laughs> uh, so once you get beyond two different primary value streams and you add a third now, because two you actually can balance between as one is delayed, you can you know optimize. But hit the third and then go up from there, you're going to lose percentage-wise overall productivity. Well, the task switching, it, there's a cost to task switching. I mean, if you just look at the development side of it, they, they actually have a, uh, they've worked out that the cost is basically every time you interrupt uh, a guy writing code or a, a woman writing code, then uh, you've just lost half an hour because it's going to take them half an hour to get back to where they were. So if you interrupt them with some unplanned work, then you've just written off another half hour just to get them back to where they were when you interrupted. You know, it's interesting. I'll point out, you, you said machines are better at this. It's it's funny that they're actually, they're not necessarily better. They're just faster. And the reason I point that out is because we always talk about loading our systems. And I'm talking about people systems. We want to, you know, load people at 100% or whatever. And, and a lot of times when we talk about optimizing, it's like, okay, how can we get everybody working at 100%? But you'll, you know, when you talk about uh, Kanban and, and talk about people's boards and you're starting to model the work, the question always comes up, well, what if you run your computer at 100% all the time? Or you've got multiple cores and you start running it at 150 or 200%. Um, people start, that people will intuitively say, well, my machine slows down. Why? Because you're hitting swap space and you're having to swap stuff in and out of memory. And, and so that context switching on machines isn't even i mean they do it faster than we do it but it's not like it's it's free there either and there was a great i mean this is uh, there's a great google paper um that's quite old actually that they found that 80 percent is where you want to uh, utilize your your data centers at because above 80 percent that's where you start running into these tasks with switching things which by the way is where the 20 percent time comes from but so it, it's another one of those it, the thing i love about kanban is when we talk about it so much of it is intuitive when you actually sit down and look at it, um, but it sounds kind of weird at the beginning. I mean, the, the Troy, the things you were saying, the couple other principles about throughput, throughput and flow, um, you know, they sound weird when you hear them, but when you actually sit down and think about it for about five minutes and the work that we all do, then it's like, oh, well, obviously I know that doesn't make sense, right? It's, it's funny to see people kind of have that reaction. Well, it starts with a basic belief change that, um, or a discounting of the myth that there's unlimited capacity to do work yeah right until a, an IT professional or team is willing to state that and actually demonstrate what their capacity is and manage their capacity then you can't begin to kind of get this under control and stabilize it well I like what you said about the, the machine I hadn't thought about that and 
just word check, I would call 100% maximize, optimize would be that 80% you mentioned. Right. right. There's a great quote from uh, Taiichi Ono that says, uh, let flow manage the process and not management manage the flow. And that's really mm-hmm. what Kanban is about is, is uh, again, that honoring reality, but but optimizing for throughput and flow and smooth sort of transition of work from stage to stage from the beginning of the value stream to, to sort of the end of the value stream. I like that. Let the flow manage it. I like that a lot. That's two, honoring reality and let the flow manage. I like that one. Um, okay, so now the question is, all right, now you've you've looked at it from the you've looked at it from your expertise perspective, but get back to my original conversation. What happens when all this is spread out? Everything you've described sounds good if I'm in the same physical location. I don't get how I work with this if it's spread out. So I have an example. Um, yeah. Paul, do you want me to jump in there for a second, or do you want to? Uh, uh, sure. Uh, sure. I, well, so, so I would say a couple of things are kind of interesting about Kanban. Kanban scales really well, and what I mean by that is you can actually scale it out when you look at a system, or you can scale it way way down. So I've seen, in fact, I have a personal Kanban board, um, which is kind of interesting to talk about. I've seen people that actually have personal Kanban boards uh, that on teams where they, they manage their own day-to-day work using a Kanban board, and that board is just theirs. I've also seen executive-level portfolio Kanban boards that show different projects in different stages, and they manage their portfolio at that really high level um, that way. And so a lot of times what you see people doing, and there's some tools that sort of support this, is this idea that you can kind of scale uh, Kanban boards. You can actually kind of stitch them together so that you can look at the output of of the end of one team in a Kanban board and and look at the input to another and, and look at it that way. In fact, there's some great photos of Kanban boards that are actually physical ones that take up like an entire wall of a, of a company and they, they put that together and they maintain it themselves and they're very proud of that. Um, so it, you were talking about different locations. Um, I think, you know, um, co-located or distributed workforces are, are a big thing and, and they've come up a lot in the last few years. Um, one of the ways that I think um, I see this is especially, um, they call it actually scrum bond when you have a scrum meeting in the morning people will go to the Kanban board and whether they're in different locations or, you know, dialed in because they're, you know, uh, dropping the kids off while they're on their way to work and the meetings at eight, I've seen that actually that, which is kind of funny. People will rally sort of around the Kanban board. Um, and it's a way to visualize that work, even though they're not in the same location. Um, and it works actually surprisingly well. So I have two examples to this. Uh, so one to kind of echo on, on Paul, when I managed my last team, it was a product team, and we had individual Kanban boards for each employee of the team. And when I would do a one-on-one with them as their manager, they would then show me the Kanban board that they had. And they, of course, using their remote, so it was remote tools, and they, they did this in different ways. But the reality is, we'd have a conversation, I'd say, okay, you know, you know Mary, you know, we expected this to happen, where are you with that? And, and she would put up the Kanban board, and I would literally see, okay, well, I thought you were working on that, but it's still in the to-be-done queue, right? And what I thought you were working on and was finished is actually still in work in progress. So it really helps that dialogue, even on a one-on-one basis. We would then leverage that from a project perspective. A certain product was going to market a certain course. So we had a course-based Kanban board, and which was a you know 
one level up from the individual. And then there was an overall work Kanban board. So we could, as Paul was mentioning, tier these accordingly. Uh, another example as well is I was speaking to uh, a speaker for our next conference, and he was discussing how he's using Agile and Kanban boards together to manage service request fulfillment. So as a product owner slash process owner for request fulfillment, he's getting lots of voice of customer input for requests and enhancements. Uh, that becomes the product backlog, if you will. And that's now prioritized and groomed according to business value. And that's a combination of multiple conversations with the people putting stuff in. But then the team that is managing now that request looks at that product backlog and does sprint planning from the point of view of pulling into that next two to three, two to four weeks sprint iteration, which requests they're going to manage through that. And then of course, there's a review and a, a retrospective. And they're using a Kanban board to visualize that entire experience, the Scrum Bond concept. So in this case, they're using the concept of both Scrum Agile um, and Kanban to do service management, in this case, request fulfillment. And I would point out, I, you know, I, I work uh, with a lot of teams where, you know, there's, there's other issues, so we're tackling kind of other things. But, you know, engineers, especially operations engineers, will, will tell me, like, you know, I keep having one-on-ones with my manager, and I can't explain what I did with my week. I, I like, like, it seems like my time just goes, you know, away. And we, we look at it, and, and that goes to, uh, you know, what Troy was saying with the unplanned work. People often just kind of optim they, they kind of optimize that out of their day-to-day -day work, all of this other work that they're doing. And so what I suggest people do for a couple weeks is do a personal Kanban board, even if their team doesn't do it, even if, you know, nobody's heard of it, because it is such an intuitive system, and it's so easy to get started with it. And, and there's a bunch of free tools that you can use online for it that actually look pretty slick. Trello is one of them. You can get a free Trello account. And it makes their one-on-ones go a lot smoother because those manager questions about what did you do all week, it seems like you're not doing anything, they can show, well, you know, I have I had this much work and this is the work that I had. This is where it is in, in my personal system. And one of the, the uh, interesting points that comes up is uh, in Kanban boards, you see the concept of the expedite lane. And that's the lane where, you know, the site is down. We have to deal with this right now. And you'll see people start accounting for their expedite tasks that their manager came by and said, you know, Tuesday at 11 a.m. and then Wednesday at 2 p.m. said, hey, I really need you to do this right now. That all becomes visible and it makes those uh, those one-on-one -on -one conversations a lot easier if you keep getting the question, well, what did you do with your week? I don't know what you're doing. Um, Kanban makes that, that fairly obvious fairly quickly. So obviously Kanban is part of visual management, but one of the elements of Lean that I especially like that's very visual is the value stream map um, allowing me once again very intuitive Paul where you just you don't have to explain it once you get it up there in front of everybody they just look at it and go well obviously we need to do this or this or this so how does Kanban relate to that well I think um, if you so we Kanban is, is a kind of a day-to-day -day practice you can use that that you you take the work and then you sort of use it as a tool to help you manage the work. Whereas if you if you are looking like a value stream map, which which I'm a big fan of too, and I, I think it's super important to do those, you're really kind of sitting in a room and then thinking about the process and and looking at what it looks like and, and sort of 
going the other direction. What I would say there is uh, a lot of the tools, a lot of the Kanban tools, if you sit down and, and do either personal Kanban or team Kanban or however you, you uh, end up doing it for you know two to four weeks, uh, it usually doesn't actually take longer than that to get some good numbers. Um, but they'll they'll start to stabilize after you know four to eight weeks. You'll get you'll get you'll get more stable numbers. But you'll get numbers around you know cycle time, lead time. You can start doing things like cumulative flow diagrams that will show you work in the system. So where that can can sort of help with with uh, kind of a value stream is it it starts to produce some numbers around. Um, just, just as a byproduct of using the Kanban board, some numbers around, uh, you know, what what is a cycle time for a particular task? What's the lead time? That sort of thing, which can be useful when in an actual kind of more formalized value stream mapping exercise. And I'm sure, I mean, Troy, you've probably done this with teams where you kind of take that data and mash it, mash it all up. We've done, I've done yeah. something similar to that. You can do that, but you can do a rough mapping of, of the detailed value stream to a Kanban board. So imagine you have a fairly linear process. Stuff comes in one end and you know, out the other end is, is delivered out. Uh, but then there's some big grain stations along the way around plan, around design, requirements generation, build, test, you know, move to production, and etc. Uh, you could then take that overall now kind of flow, though it's a much higher level than the actual value stream, which is even a higher level than the actual process. So there's tiers of detail. And having each of those major stations kind of a inbox, a work in progress, and a completed, which then comes the, you know, the basis for pull on the next step down line. So you can use a Kanban board for a larger context, uh, but it is at a level of aggregation higher. It's it's um it's not the exact map to the value stream, but can be built roughly based on it. They're really complementary, I think, and that's again what makes makes this so useful. One of the favorite things there's there's actually a, a Kanban for DevOps game that you can play with teams, um, and it's it's kind of fun to watch teams and especially managers and executives. I've played it with executives too, and it's it's fun to to have them play that game because uh, the game sort of prompts them to to. There, there's some traps in the game that sort of people fall into and those aha moments and the game is basically a, a, a Kanban board is is the game board and so you sort of have a uh, the, the the stories you've got a software as a service product and so as you play the game it's it's fun to watch people sort of have these aha moments about how all of this stuff sort of actually connects to the work they do George, can we go back to the plan on plan for a moment? Sure. I had a question the other day. Someone asked me, "Can you use can you use Scrum as a, a process uh, for uh, unplanned work?" And this kind of then comes into the context of using a Kanban for unplanned work. So, in general, Scrum is as an agile method is really about planned work, and you can use an agile method in anything that you have intention to do. That could be service portfolio. That could be you know requests. We've already talked about that. Um, it, it can be you know, change management. Those are planned activities. When it comes to incident management, that's not necessarily going to fit a sprint mentality because that's unplanned. Scrum by itself is an intentional process. But then we can take the Kanban and we can actually say it actually can be used for both <laughs> because you have planned work coming in through request or portfolio or change, and they can be different colored cards, right? And you can see different types of work coming through. And then you have a different color on the Kanban board representing unplanned work. And then you can see at any given moment your whip, which still has a limit, by the way, of what you can actually progress and process. 
uh, what percentage of that whip is unplanned versus planned cards at any given moment, and at the done column, you know, what piles are bigger. So you can use Kanban for both unplanned and planned, but when it comes to the scrum conversation, that's more intentional. Well, this gets back to my conversation about the fact that the Kanban board is really the only place where everything is visible at once, both planned and unplanned work. In no other no other place that I know of within an IT shop is everything visible in one spot. If you're doing it right, it's everything is visible, and that's that's kind of you know exactly the point is that you want um, you want to to give voice to that work and and have a, a place where people can can see what's actually going on. And what, you know it's interesting. Uh, oh, I was just gonna mention. Well, what is doing quick. it wrong? You said if they do it right, what? How do people use? How do people do Kanban and do it wrong? Um, so Kanban, it's kind of it's, that's a really good question, and I'd be curious. Troy probably has some stories on this too. But where I generally see people doing it wrong is in organizations that have uh, blame and shame cultures or some cultural challenges. Visibility is scary, and the whole point of Kanban is to bring visibility to the work. So people will not put work on the Kanban board. If somebody comes by and says, hey, can you do a task? They'll just do it and not put it on the Kanban board. Or if certain people in certain positions in the organization ask them to do work, they'll kind of say, hey, can we kind of do it off the books, quote unquote. And what happens then is you the numbers that you get out of the Kanban board and all of those conversations that you would want to have happen about limiting the work in progress and, and what expedite uh, work or expedited kind of unplanned work, what that does to your system, all those things, all those opportunities for those conversations goes away. And so one of the big things that, that we see when, when I do Kanban training is um, at the executive level, they'll when teams start doing common boards when execs see the cost of the context switching when they ask for unplanned work that's a huge aha moment for them but if that work gets hidden then then we we, we it's not visible we just don't see it and we we lose that opportunity so that's where the the main way that i see sort of kanban being done wrong okay Troy, do you have anything? Because we're getting near the end of our time, gentlemen. So it's time to start wrapping up. Yeah, I have a... One more, one oh, more go ahead. example. Or, yeah, go ahead. All right. So it's all about honoring the reality. And, and if it's work to put this information on a Kanban board, it has to have value. If it doesn't have value because we have an underlying economy that's not captured there or management says, okay, it's on there, but I don't care what it says, then the entire Kanban board is for naught because in reality, it's not accomplishing what it's supposed to be. One just really brief example. Uh, I was using this in the conversation with one of my staff members, and I come to her and I say, you know, Linda, I need you to take these three new things on this week. And she says, well, Troy, based on our conversation yesterday, you said these were the priorities. Okay, so what am I going to put back into queue uh, and to take on these three things that you just told me now have to be done also this week? Now, I could have gone two ways with this. If I had said, forget what I said yesterday, you have to do all six, then the whole Kanban experience is not valuable but as a leader I had to acknowledge what I've been teaching her and I had to share with her what I believe were the priorities and she was uh, given the ability and the, you know authority to put those three back into queue and if I had not taken that approach then the whole Kanban would have been for naught okay Paul your final words 
I would say if you're interested in Kanban, there's a great book called Personal Kanban. It's a relatively quick read. It um, gives you the fundamentals. It kind of walks you through setting up a board. Um, and I would point out Kanban is not just for IT operations. I have a, a media bond because there's so many good shows on Netflix and HBO. I actually manage uh, what uh, TV shows and what series I'm watching with a Kanban board. <laughs> I have a book bond, so both professional and personal reading. Um, I have a, a Kanban board for that. Um, I've seen parents actually use Kanban boards with kids to get them to do their chores. Paul, and this big... is getting strange now. I, I know, but so know what's that. yeah, so what's fun with with when you have a like a kid Kanban board, they make a physical one, so they'll put it on the refrigerator with like magnets and stuff, and they'll like track their chores uh, for the week, you know, and they'll reset the chores at the beginning of the week, and and so they can just have ask the kids, you know, are your chores done? and look at the Kanban board. It's it's kind of amazing. And then the last example I, I'll give you, and this was uh, Dominica told, tells this story. Um, she actually used a Kanban board to remodel her kitchen with her husband. So they, they had a whole Kanban board that managed the process of which parts of the kitchen they were focused on. And it included things like, you know, going to the store and finding the right tile and deciding on tile and then getting the tile actually set and all of that stuff. So, so um, it's not just for IT operations. It's actually, uh, it, it's, it may sound a little cultish, um, but I actually find it useful. Uh, so I, I, cause there's so many good shows on Netflix these days. I often forget. So I can go look at my, my media bomb board when I, when I want to watch something new. Yeah, let's automate it. It's called a, it's called a wish list. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Exactly. So we're way over time. Thank you very much, Paul. You have been wonderful in spite of the last weird part. Um, <laughs> and uh, and you're obviously incredibly smart. Troy, thank you as usual. This is George Spaulding signing off for Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant number 71. Bye for now. Bye.